Good morning, students. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and find Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 6. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 6. We're going to continue our time in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Last week, we began uh, with Paul's greeting in the first five verses. Uh, He identified himself as a true apostle and highlighted the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what this whole letter is about, is the gospel of freedom that, that frees us from our sin and frees us to Christ. Uh, we get to share in that good news that our sins have been taken by Jesus on the cross, and we get to rise with him in resurrection life. That's the good news that we talked about last week. And we, we ended in verse 5 with that word, amen. The idea is uh, that we agree, that we believe that these things are true. So we We started last week where we always need to start with the the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and whether or not we believe these things to be true, whether they're true for us in our own hearts and minds. So today we continue in Paul's letter by moving from the greeting to the churches of Galatia to his main problem. And the main problem that Paul has with these churches is that they're giving up the gospel. It's not just that they're following false teaching. They're actually giving up the foundation on which everything else is built. The Judaizers, or Jewish Christian teachers, the ones we met last week, these false teachers, they had come into the churches telling them that they must become Jews before they can be real followers of Jesus. So these churches, these Gentile believers, have to become circumcised. They have to follow the law of Moses. They have to do all of these things as steps to get to where they can be real Christians. And so Paul had to step in with this letter to set the record straight. So what we're going to see today is that there really is no other gospel, right? If you add or take away from the the true gospel of Jesus Christ, you have something completely different. You have something that will not save, that will not bring healing, that will not bring life to you. Uh, There may be religions and people and movements who claim to have good news for us, but ultimately there is only one true gospel. And so, like we said, any addition or subtraction to Jesus dying and rising for sinners applying salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. It may, it may sound good if there are additions or subtractions, but it is not biblical, and it is not, it's not really real. It's a false gospel. So let's start by reading our text this morning, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray before we go any further. Well, God in heaven, we love you because you loved us first. We, we worship you as a response to the glory that is only due to you and you alone. God, you are altogether wonderful. You're glorious and gracious, compassionate and kind, and you have offered to us, each one of us, the, the free gift of salvation through Christ. And Lord, today, as we study your word and learn about these false gospels and how we, with our sinful hearts, still tend to deviate away from the truth of your word, God, I pray that your spirit would would transform us and grow us and, and move us more and more into the image of Jesus. I pray that we would learn how to discern 
what is true and what is false when it comes to our beliefs. I pray that we would learn and discern that our lives are teaching the world around us about you, about the gospel, about what's real and what's good, that we would feel the weight of that, but also know that, God, you, through Christ, the Son of God who put on flesh, you have done what we could not do. You perfectly lived out a life in this world. You did it for us. And so, Lord, we pray that we would lean more into that grace that you offer us through your finished work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to see three things in this text about true and false gospels. And the first thing we're going to see is that Paul is astonished. Now, you, may be, uh, you may have different words in your translation there in verse 6, but, but my translation, the English Standard Version, says astonished. It, it's, it, it's, it's a, it's, he's shocked. He's shocked. If, if you read Paul's other letters, right? If you, if you look through the New Testament and you read things like 1 Corinthians or Philippians or Ephesians or, or other letters written by Paul, you would expect to see a section of thanksgiving or encouragement right after that greeting. So if you look at Paul's letters, normally what happens is he gives a greeting and then he gives a, a section of thanksgiving or encouragement where he talks about how he prays for that church or prays for those people. Uh, you would expect to see that right here in verse 6, but you don't see that, right? It's striking then that instead of gratitude and encouragement, we find shock. Paul is astonished, right? He's taken aback. He's caught off guard. He's surprised that the churches of Galatia would deviate from the message that he brought to them about Jesus. Now, why is he astonished? Well, it it says here in verse 6, we'll work our way backwards. So it says, let's just read it again. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So, so ultimately, he's astonished because the Galatian Christians are turning to a different gospel, right? It, it's not what he taught them about who Jesus is. It's something completely different. And that word different there in verse 6 is not like... Um, can I have a cup of coffee? Can I have another cup of coffee or a different cup of coffee, right? It's not a difference of the same kind of things. It's a completely different thing, like cup of coffee, scuba gear, like completely different. And so Paul is astonished that he would, that the churches in Galatia rather would go from the true gospel to something completely different. Second, uh, Paul is astonished because they were going to a different gospel and therefore turning away from God himself. Notice it says, you're deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. So it's not just that you're turning to a false gospel, Galatian Christians, you're turning away from the God who called you to be his own. So they're turning to a false gospel, they're deserting God, and third, they're doing it quickly. Right? This isn't a slow move for the churches in Galatia. This is a quick shift. That's why he says, I'm astonished. You are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. And that word deserting uh, was used in military scenarios to talk about uh, soldiers moving, defecting from one army to another. So when you read this, think about a person switching sides in a war. It's not just like, I'm doing one thing over here, but now I'm going to do something different. It's I'm on this side of the war, and now I'm turning to be on this side of the war. Those who were my allies are now my enemies. So think about deserting here as deserting a home country to defect to the enemy. This isn't merely wandering away from one place to another place. It's treachery. 
It's treason. It's, it's what the scriptures and what Christianity throughout history has called apostasy. Literally moving away, apostatizing from the faith. So if you're remembering the book of Exodus, you're remembering our, our long journey through those 40 chapters, you remember in Exodus chapter 32, this huge story of Israel and the golden calf. This verse should remind you of that golden calf story. The people of Israel were following Yahweh. They were following Moses. Moses goes up on the mountain, and then quickly they start to worship and long after false gods. They start to worship after things that were not kind of like Yahweh, but were completely different. They, they completely deserted the covenant. This is serious. Right? Paul is out here with a huge warning sign to the Galatians, yelling for them to stop to turn around and to come back to the gospel that he brought to them, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? God, through the preaching of Paul, had called them to the grace of Christ. That's what it says here in verse 6. Him who called you in the grace of Christ. This is the sovereign work of God to change them from the inside out. So, so many people hear the gospel, right? An evangelist could go and proclaim the good news of the gospel, and, and people hear the gospel, but only those whom God has called beforehand from the foundations of the world are called, right? It's one thing to hear the gospel. It's another thing to respond in faith. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, churches, you, you responded in faith. You you were called by God to believe this. You've been changed from the inside out, and now you're trying to turn away, you're deserting him? How could you do this? The Spirit effectively brought them into the fold of God. They were walking miracles. And now they're being led away by these false teachers. Their salvation did not make them immune to false beliefs and heresy. So, so make no mistake, student, that this is important for us to remember. right? Our salvation does not make us immune to false beliefs. If the churches here, these groups of believers in Galatia, can be led astray by a false gospel, then so can you. And so can I. And we all, even as believers, can be led astray by something that sounds right. It sounds good. It, it seems to be true, but in the end, it leads to death. We have to know that we are walking in the ways of Jesus according to His Word. Not just according to some popular teacher. So, so this doesn't mean that you can't trust teachers, right? It doesn't mean that you shouldn't trust me or you shouldn't trust Brother Al when he preaches every Sunday. You should trust your leaders. You should trust your pastors. But why? You should trust them because they are preaching the Word of God. They're teaching from the Scriptures. I, you shouldn't want to come hear what I think about every single thing, right? That, that's not the point. The point is, what does God's Word say? And, and what does God's Word teach us about who He is? what the gospel is like, how we ought to live as Christians in this world. So, so not only that, not only are we, are we uh, not immune to, to le being led astray by false gospels, we're actually prone to believe them, right? Like you and I need to admit that, that our flesh and our desires from, from ever since we were born have been away from God, right? We were born in iniquity, right? In iniquity, my mother conceived me. That's what David says. So, so ever since we were born, the, the natural response of our sinful, wicked hearts is to live and to long for and to believe in things that aren't true. We're prone to believe 
false gospel. That's why we sing the song, Come Thou Fount, with that last verse that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You see the, the tension there? This is the God that I love, and yet I'm prone to leave him because of the sin in my life, because I'm still a creature broken by sin. So we are new creations in Christ, but we still live at war with our flesh, the world, and the devil, who are all trying to bring us away from the truth. So we need to admit, you and me today, right now, we need to admit that we're fragile. We need to admit that as as young believers, which is all of us, younger believers, we are prone to believe false gospels. We're prone to wander away. We need the eyes and the ears and the hearts of of others around us to love us enough to keep us close to Jesus. Like Even when it's hard, we need people around us to come alongside us and to press us closer in to the cross. We need more mature believers in our lives who are able to sniff out false teaching and protect us from making a shipwreck of our faith. We need the Spirit of God to empower us and open our eyes to behold God's truth. We, we need more of the gospel that we cannot do it, but someone has done it for us. And that's exactly why Paul is writing this letter. And it's exactly why Paul is so astonished that they're turning away from it, from the gospel. He continues that point in verse 7, saying that there are some that trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But notice what he says at the very beginning. He says, not that there is another gospel. Not that there is another one, right? So, so Paul is saying, look, let, let me just set the record straight. There is only one gospel. There's only one good news from God, and that's Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected. There's no other gospel. But you may think that there is because of these false teachers. So, so what does that mean about, how, how do we translate that to our own day, right? Our culture loves plurality, and it loves inclusivism. So uh, plurality is just the idea that you can believe one thing, and I can believe one thing, and it's okay. Like, we can both be right. So there's more than one way, right? Uh, We think about this with religion. We think about this with politics. We think about this with a lot of different things. We're pluralists as a culture, but we're also inclusivists, right? So what you believe about who God is, and what I believe about who God is, and what this person believes about who God is, can all not necessarily be okay, they can be right, right? That we all are actually pretty close to what's true, pretty close to what's right, and so we can all be included into uh, being, being right, being seen as being okay. We love to say that everyone has their own way, that all can be brought into harmony, that we can get along with different worldviews and beliefs, and in one sense, listen, in one sense that's totally true, Right? Surely you and I can get along with a Mormon or a Muslim or an atheist. We can we actually have a, a good, healthy relationship. We can work together. We can study together, right? But getting along is not the same as believing that they're right. And so Paul reminds the church here that there's only one gospel. It's the gospel that we find in the Old and New Testaments. It's the Son of God crucified for sinners and raised for their justification. It's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. Christianity is not inclusive. It is exclusive. There's only one way, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christianity is exclusive. 
but it is also open to any who would believe. All may come to freely find grace, but they only come to the Father through the work of the Son by the calling of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that they come. So notice in verse 7, where this dangerous false gospel is growing. It's not a false teaching out in the world. It's a false teaching in the church, right? So the Galatian Christians are struggling with not the teachings of the world being brought in, but the teachings from within distorting and perverting the gospel. Phil Riken says it like this. He says, The church's greatest danger is not the anti-gospel outside the church. It's the counterfeit gospel inside the church. Students, what that means for you and me is that much of the doctrine that the Judaizers were teaching was probably really good, right? Like if, if we listen to a couple of the sermons from the Judaizers, we may never notice that what they believe is false. We may hear great things like Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead for you and for me. And if we hear those kinds of things, we may think, oh man, Jesus is awesome. I want to believe what these guys believe. And we will follow them, follow them into false teaching because they knew some things that were good, but other things were foundationally broken. There was serious, poisonous error deep in the core. They would have passed the theological smell test at the top, but there was something way down deep that was rotten. So when you and I are flippant or ambivalent or we don't care about being clear about what it is that we believe, Honestly, it may not really be noticeable for a while. Like You may not care uh, what your doctrine is about the Holy Spirit, or you may not really care what your doctrine is about who Jesus is as fully God and fully man. You may not really care about uh, what happens at the end of days, with the, the end of all things, with the heaven and hell, the, the eternity that awaits us. You, you may not care. And you may think, well, I just believe whatever I kind of want to believe, I'll find somebody that's saying something that seems kind of right and I'll just follow after that. Your false beliefs may not be noticeable for a while. And the false beliefs of false teachers may not be noticeable for a while. But the damage that will come will be catastrophic. If we continue in false doctrine, it's like thinking that our compass is calibrated to north, but it's actually just a couple of degrees off. And just a couple of degrees off, will lead us to be miles and miles away from where we're actually trying to be. We're actually completely off course, right? So Todd Wilson, a pastor, he writes that this is why forsaking Christ or leaving Jesus can feel like something that happens to you as much as something you choose to do, right? So apostasy, in other words, means slowly drifting from the seashore of faith on a raft of doubt, driven by the winds of disappointment, and carried by the currents of false teaching. So underneath all of those things, doubts and disappointments, frustration, is this false teaching that leads us away. The good news for the Galatians, and the good news for any of us that may search our own hearts and realize that our beliefs may not be as strong as we want them to be, is that it's not too late. Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians in order to effect change in their life. And here in verse 6, he says that they are so quickly deserting, right? This is a present tense. This is actively happening in the churches of Galatia. They were still in the act, but they could turn it back around. 
They could run back to Jesus, who had received them with open arms as he always does. That's the point of Galatians. Paul wants these dear brothers and sisters to realize that there is no other gospel that can save than the one that he gave them. So they have to turn around now. Students, if you find in your own heart and mind that you have beliefs that aren't strong, aren't true, and you don't know what what to do with them, you have to turn around. We have to know what God's Word says so that we can actually discern which of our beliefs are right and which of our beliefs are wrong. If you had a false belief, you wouldn't hold on to it if you knew it was false. That's the nature of false beliefs. So once we uncover that these things are not true, we can be uh, transformed in our minds by the work of the Spirit to be more in line with what the Word of God clearly teaches. So Paul is astonished that they have deserted the gospel, that they are in the act of deserting the gospel, but he has hope that they can still come back to faithfulness. That's the first point. If you're taking notes, we have another point of, of what happens when we look at these true and false gospels. And this second point has to do with the false teachers themselves. Paul is going to tell these false teachers that they are anathema. So the second point is false teachers are anathema. And we see this in verses 8 and 9. That's a, it's an interesting word. We'll get to it in just a minute. But these two verses serve as perhaps the harshest rebuke in all of Paul's writings. It's certainly one of the most sobering judgments in all of the New Testament that those who preach a contrary gospel are accursed. They are anathema. And that word anathema literally means to be handed over to God for utter destruction. It means condemnation. It means hell for those who are anathema. Why is this such a big deal though? Like, why does Paul have this double, verse 8, verse 9, this repetition that whoever preaches a false gospel is anathema? Why is this such a big deal? It's a big deal because false gospels steal God's glory from him and give it to someone else. And it's a big deal because false gospels lead others specifically away from God. So it steals God's glory and it tries to steal away his people. It is satanic at its core to preach a false gospel that sounds good but can never save, right? It is satanic to give someone a hope that isn't real, to give them an illusion rather than the truth, a lie rather than what's real. And Paul doesn't care who says it. Let's look again at verse 8. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So angels and we, that is the apostles, are historically, biblically, the mouthpieces of God. They're God's messengers to the world. They communicate God's truth, but they are not the source of truth. Their authority and their power as angels and apostles are given to them by their creator. Both angels and apostles are creatures who submit their lives to the Lord. The Lord is the one who's the source of truth. The Lord is the one who gives the gospel. They are the ones who proclaim the news that God has given. They don't come up with their own stuff. They don't come up with their own gospels. But then we move to verse 9, where Paul puts teeth on the judgment. Verse 8, the phrase, uh, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you, let him be accursed, that's what's called a subjunctive phrase. It's, it's, in other words, it's like a hypothetical. It's like, you know, if we did this, 
then this would happen. It's not real. It's just kind of a thought experiment. And Paul is saying, you know, if an angel preached a false gospel, he would be accursed. If an apostle preached a false gospel, he would be accursed. So it's not, it's not real. It's not really rooted in reality. It's just a thought experiment. It's hypothetical. It's subjunctive. But in verse 9, Paul puts it into present tense. He says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul also says that he's warned them before, right? As we have said before, so now I say again, we can assume that Paul told these new believers in Galatia that there would be false teachers out there, right? Paul would have let these believers know there are going to be some who come and try to take you away from the truth. Don't listen to them. Don't believe them. Cling to the gospel that we gave you, the gospel of Christ alone. Teachers and philosophers in this culture were well-renowned. And so he knew that there may have been false teachers out there promoting freedom, promoting life, promoting hope. But Paul warns them another time here in Galatians 1, chapter, 9, or chapter 1, verse 9. Whoever is preaching a false gospel will face God's wrath. Now this ought to serve to you and me a sober, sober warning. Because in one sense, all of us are teachers, right? We are all theologians. We all have beliefs about who God is, what He's like, what He's done for us, what He's doing in the world. We're all communicating truths about who God is, who we are, and what the gospel really means both with our words and with our actions. So what are we teaching? If you think about your own life, what kind of gospel are you proclaiming with your life? What kind of gospel are you proclaiming with your words? Would it line up with Scripture? Or would it be a different gospel? Do we say that we love our neighbor as ourself, but then treat those who look different from us as inferior? That's a false gospel. And we'll see an example in a few weeks when Paul confronts Peter to his face for his actions between Jews and Gentiles. But it's clear enough for us to see right now, right? I mean, insert whatever qualifier you want. This person doesn't make as much money as my family does, or this person has a, a better or worse presence on social media than me, or this person goes to a different school than I do, or has a different skin color than me, or they were mean to me before. I mean, whatever you want to put in, you can put in. If you don't love your neighbor as yourself, we're not communicating the truth of the gospel to the world. We show the world what we believe about God when we live our lives. Like when they look at our lives, they see what we believe, especially as it pertains to how we treat one another. In other words, people can get a pretty good sense of how much you love God based on how much you love your neighbor, right? This is not like a, a two completely different concepts that Jesus gives. He says, the greatest commandment is to love God and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So when I love my neighbor well, it shows that I love God. If I love God well, it's going to fuel my love for my neighbor. And we know that in our culture, in our day, over the last couple of days and weeks, there's been stories in the news that have shown us very clearly that we struggle with loving our neighbor well. There are times where we downright just get it flat wrong and we actually hate our neighbor. We, we do harm to our neighbor. This should cause us to grieve. 
that image bearers would be treated with anything other than the love that God, that God demands for them as somebody who's made in his image. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, the world around us is watching. The world around us is listening. The world around us is noticing how we love our neighbors, how we love one another. And underneath that living, right, underneath how it is that we live, fueling our actions is both our thoughts and our desires, our minds and our hearts. They're all connected, right? Our our thinking, our feelings, and our actions, all of those things are connected together. So I am pleading with you, just as Paul did with this letter to his brothers and sisters in Galatia, know God's word, know his word, love the Bible and study it, read it, chew it, meditate on it, know his word, understand what the Christian faith really means, right? The Christian faith isn't just a set of beliefs that we assent to, that we agree to, that we can sign on a dotted line and say, yes, I think all of these things are true. The Christian faith is lived out. It's these these beliefs that we have in our heart influencing the way that we think about the world, which then leads us to living out our lives a certain way. Fall in love with Jesus above everyone and everything else. Make it your aim, make it your charge by God's grace in your life to live your life in such a way that never preaches a false gospel, that never preaches that you have to measure up to a certain status before you can be loved. That, that, that preaches and proclaims that it doesn't matter what you look like or where you come from, that God has his affection set on you, that the gospel is offered to you for free, that you can come as you are, and that you deserve love and dignity and respect because you're made in his image. It doesn't matter what they believe, doesn't matter what they look like, what they sound like, where they're from. Live your lives in such a way that proclaims a true gospel, not a false gospel. So Paul's astonished, right? We saw that first in in verses six and seven that Paul is astonished that the Galatians are deserting this gospel to go to something false. And in verses eight and nine, we saw that the false teachers are anathema. This is as bad as it gets, that they should be condemned for their false teachings. And finally, in verse 10, we see, if you're taking notes, the third point this morning is that Christians have one audience. Christians have one audience. So after alerting the Galatians to his shock and pronouncing judgment on the false teachers, Paul now defends his intentions. He is not a man pleaser. He's a servant of Christ. Apparently, uh, the context of this letter shows us that the Judaizers were telling the Galatian Christians that the reason why they didn't know about circumcision, the reason why they didn't know about following the law of Moses is because Paul left out all of it on purpose, right? The Judaizers were saying to these Galatian Christians, Paul left out the whole circumcision and following the law of Moses part because he didn't want to be offensive. He didn't want to uh, be disliked, right? So the Judaizers are saying to these Christians, Paul wants to please man. Paul wants to be liked. He wants to be approved. He wants to be affirmed. He wants to be well-received. So he left out the really tough parts of Christianity, like being circumcised and following the law. Later in this letter, Paul will say things like, I have been crucified with Christ. And later on at the end of the letter, he says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. This Paul, we know, will ultimately be martyred. He will be killed 
for his commitment to Jesus. He was a servant of Christ to the end. He was not there to please man. He was there to serve the Lord. And that's the point Paul's trying to make here in verse 10. He says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Either Jesus is Lord of your life or someone else is. Paul says you can't have two masters, basically. And for many people, for many of us, Jesus is not consistently the Lord of our life. Someone else is. And usually it's just the group term we say as man. We fear man. We want to please mankind. We want to please the humans in our life that can give us stuff, right? So we, we live for the approval and the respect and the love of others around us, and we will do anything to get it. So instead of standing faithful to Jesus, we'll cave to peer pressure. Or instead of being honest with our sins, we'll live as hypocrites and say that everything's fine when we actually desperately need help. Instead of being willing to bear shame and persecution for being faithful to Christ in the world, we will cower in fear and keep our mouths shut. That's not being a servant of Christ. That's living in the fear of man. And so Paul knew this. He wants us to know it too. That we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in this world just to please other people. That following Jesus is hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it. So I just want to end with this quote by Phil Reichen. I mentioned him earlier. I think it's spot on. And just, just listen to what he says about living for Jesus. He says, this is a question every person has to answer. Whose pleasure do I seek? If we try to please ourselves or other people, then we are living by a different gospel. Pleasing God and pleasing others are mutually exclusive. We cannot follow our own ambitions and follow Jesus Christ at the same time. For us, the good news may be a bigger paycheck, a better job, a new romance, or some other personal accomplishment. But once we understand the true gospel, then we stop living for ourselves or for others and start living for God. Consider what the gospel says. It does not tell us that we have to do to please God. Instead, it announces that God is already pleased with us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God is as pleased with us as He is with His own Son. This liberates us from seeking the approval of others. At the same time, it frees us from striving for God's favor. We already have the tender affection of His eternal love. What more do we need? Nothing more. Which is why the one true gospel is such amazingly good news. Students, I pray that you would seek the pleasure of the one who is infinitely pleased in you. That you would rest in the gospel of grace because there's no other gospel worth following. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, we are convinced that there is no other gospel. 
that there's no other name given among men by which we can be saved except the name of Jesus. So Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We pray that you would guard our hearts from deserting you. God, we confess that that our sinful lives are still riddled with temptation and desire. We are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God that we love. So Lord, we ask as that hymn continues to take our hearts, take and seal them. Seal them for your courts, for your presence above. Lord, we long to be with you in in harmony, in, in, in eternity, in heaven. Until that day comes, Lord, we pray that you would keep us faithful. You would surround us with other believers, more mature, that can guide us into faithfulness to Jesus, guide us into holiness. That you would help us to discern what it is that we believe that may be false and how to put those things to death so that we can live for you, live for your gospel, live for your glory. Lord, I pray that in all of this, we would rest knowing that we don't have to work to earn your love. You already give it to us in abundance and freely through Christ. So Lord, I pray that we would leave this place, that we would leave this time challenged and encouraged, thankful and ready to respond in worship. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.